0: On media. This is Coming Out Stories. It's a podcast about one of the most important conversations of your life. I'm Emma Goswell. You're now going to hear an incredibly brave story from Bill, who came out in the early 70s, aged just 13, while he was growing up in care.
1: I was around about the age of 13, and I was at an all boys school in Southport, which is where I was brought up. I was also in care in Dr. Bernardo's for 17 years. While I was at school at the age of 13, I'm not saying that I knew that I was gay or what the word gay was, because that, that word for me wasn't around at the time. But I became very attracted to another, uh, another boy who was a couple of years older than me. And we formed a friendship uh, it wasn 't sexual, but I just knew that I was absolutely passionately and madly in love with this person. It became noticeable by some of the other boys that there was something quite strange in their in their eyes about this this friendship. Um, I used to go over to my friend 's house I got to know his family we went out at weekends I went on holidays with them together. And eventually comments were being made and I was around about 13 years of age at the time and snide remarks. Um,
0: Did they use any particular words? Well,
1: you got, you got the terms queer, um, shirtlifter, bum boy, you know. And for me, because you'd heard those words in negative, in, mm. with negative connotations, it was actually quite, for me, quite frightening. And it reached, it, it got to the point where on one particular day I couldn't cope with it or deal with it and so I just decided to just run away from school. So I ran out of school and I was away for about six or seven hours and I was over in Victoria Park, which is where I I lived. I lived near Victoria Park, in Southport. And eventually I went to my boys' brigade, I was in the boys' brigade, and I went to my captain, um, Roy, and I explained to him what had happened and I was talking to him and his wife and they took me over to my Reverend, um, Reverend Selgrin, who was an incredible man. They got in touch with the children's home and Uncle Gilbert, who ran the home, came and they had a discussion. I was not in that discussion uh, and then I was asked a particular question and this is what, now as I look back as a 60-year-old man was amazing, they asked me if I was, and they used the term homosexual, but what, they, what Reverend Selgren said was that this was quite normal for a boy of my age, that we go through these changes and that not to define myself as a homosexual at that point in life. But if I am, then I am. And there's nothing to be ashamed of. And that was way back then. And that was amazing.
0: And that was from someone in the church.
1: And that was for some, from someone in the church. The head of the school was a, a man called Dr McIntyre. And he was informed, and he thought that the best thing that could happen is if I discussed it with some of the other boys, and I did.
0: And just to recap, this was 1971?
1: About, um, yeah, it'd be about 1971. I would have been 13 years of age. It was incredible. I had a little bit of negativity. Most people actually just didn't bat an eyelid. It wasn't even discussed. I was quite athletic at school. I was very popular. That certainly helped. I was fun. I was always able to get people laughing. Mm. So in the in, in the end, it sort of all dissipated quite naturally for me. But once I'd made that decision and I knew what I was, I didn't hide it. I, I remember the sort of first relationship I had was when I was around about 16 years of age. And by the time I was 17, I was, uh, you know, I was popping down to London.
0: But the original guy that you fell in love with at the age of 13, did you ever tell him about your feelings?
1: No. No, I think he knew, and I think that's when our relationship changed. He sort of withdrew and moved on to other people more around his own age.
0: But what was it that stopped you telling him, do you think?
1: Probably rejection. If I if I look backwards now, you know, at the time I I don't know I I didn't even think about it, but obviously you go through your life and you sort of process the sort of pivotal moments, um, and that was one of them, and I still look back on him and you know w- when it's the first love of your life, even mm. though it, it you know it wasn't reciprocated, I still find that if I meet people with the same temperament, um, similar looks, I'm attracted to them, so maybe mm. it's true what they say.
0: Yeah, look him up on Facebook.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, actually, he went into the Royal Air Force, and he's married with three daughters. Oh wow! So I did. So I did find out. I did try to make contact, and he did respond. Funny enough, through Facebook. However, that was it. Though you know, it was just that one point Mm -hmm. of a conversation, very very brief.
0: So what was the reaction from the care home then? It sounds like it was OK at school. You didn't, didn't seem to get bullied. After you came out, it sounds like you didn't get bullied. What was the reaction from, from everyone else like at the care home?
1: Um, a couple of the older boys didn't like it. But again, like I say, there were things in those days which, uh, which happened um, that were sort of quite tied in with that. I mean, when people talk about children's homes and the issues, there, that went on in the children's home. In fact, the home was closed down because of uh, sexual abuse. Mm. Um, And it was the children that had it closed down because they all ran away. We all ran away on one day. And can you imagine the amount of social workers that were running around between Southport and Liverpool? Uh,
0: So you were one of the ones that ran away. Yeah,
1: Yeah. 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 I was one of the older ones and we organised it. And Bernardo's closed the home down. They did the right thing. They investigated it. The person who ran the home was... um, removed Mm. and sadly and I say sadly um, because for me and all of us take that one part to one side they also they taught us a lot of things you know I mean from a point of education about our manners about our development, but that was the other side of things. Sadly, because more so for his wife, um, he he died two years later in absolute disgrace. And his son, and his son was an amazing lad. He was our friend, and they knew nothing about it. So it was, um, you know, it was it, it, it was it was a bad time.
0: But apart from that, in terms of your sexuality, it seems like comparatively, considering you are in a home and considering it was the 1970s, it sounds like. People were quite accepting of it in the 70s, actually.
1: When I moved to Manchester, I, um, I went to a club called Devilles, and it was very much like an underground club. There were people like Morrissey and the Smiths. And they, they sort of always uh, were in one corner. Uh, there was different styles, different fashions, different uh, types of music from Northern Soul to funk to disco mm. to what we call indie music of that day. And I just found this group of people... That were mixed that were, they were gay and they were straight and it became sort of like a culture and that led into bars like Sims and that took me into the gay scene so the commun- for me, the community was um, I worked in the city center, I was a known around the bars, mm-hmm. so I, I never had any problems. you know uh, a lot of people said they had problems getting in bars and clubs. I went to the straight, on the straight scene and the gay scene.
0: And have you ever had any problems being out and black? Because I have spoken to people in the past who said it, it is harder to come out as a black person. Have you ever felt that?
1: No, no? absolutely not. And I think mm. anybody who knows, knows me will tell will tell you that I will automatically defend myself in front of people. Mm. If I feel that there's any... If it's anything that's based around race then i'm straight in i'm straight on it and i challenge people however i also understand that it is difficult for a lot of the black youths to come out because mm-hmm. of the nature of what's going on within their own communities and it can be extremely frightening for them i've met individuals who've told me about their experiences and it's not something that anybody would want to go through mm-hmm. so you know Coming out is different for all people. I'm, other people in, of my generation had horrendous times coming out. Right. Uh, but for me, it was just one of those very lucky stories. You know, I was very lucky with what I had around me.
0: So because you were in a care home, you, you didn't have the opportunity to come out to parents at all, did you? Um,
1: I told my mother later on. And my mother was amazing because what she said to me, it was really strange. I, I'd been out to a club, I'd got drunk. Uh, this was a few years later. And... Um, she was in the bed reading a book and I was sat at the edge of the bed and I kept saying mum I've got something to tell you and she was going what is it and I said well I can't tell you and it just just went on and she said, oh for god's sake what is it and I went and I spelt it I didn't say it I went I'm G-A-Y and she went oh never mind she said go to bed we'll talk about it in the morning
0: <laughs> and did you?
1: Um not really. It it didn't it didn't need to to be um to be discussed. Mm-hmm. But I think the only thing that she was concerned about was that I didn't bring anybody home and that wasn't because of anything, you know, anything bad. It was because I had younger siblings. Mm-hmm. And I think she just didn't want me to expose them to um, to that. Mm-hmm. And I thought that, you know, it's about respecting it, being at home, but she's never had an issue with me and my sexuality. And you know, she's like 85 now and she lives with me, so that should tell people a lot.
0: I love it, yeah. and you know, considering that you grew up in a care home, mm. you've gone on to have an amazing career and yeah. been an international model. You've modelled mm-hmm. for CNA okay. and M&S, so you know you've had a really yeah. darn good life, really, haven't you?
1: I think my career path is that there's always been as something's ended, a door's opened up, mm. and I've I was always very creative, even as a you know as a young child. Mm. I was fascinated by history. I was fascinated by language, particularly the English language. I trained as a theatre actor at the Arden School of Theatre. I then did a postgrad in playwriting. I said that I would always use it. I didn't know whether I wanted to be an actor, and I actually said that at the school at the time. But in the end, what I was able to do being a model was that through the actors sort of like the actors experience I was able to design a workshop that actors would use and that was my way of developing models so I actually developed models for one of Manchester's top agency and I still produce shows so fashion shows um, but I used to do the internationals I did that in the 90s um, so yeah but I've, I've, you know I've worked for British Airways as a flight attendant and, and own oh, my own business um ran clubs dj'd you know i'll do i'll do anything
0: it sounds like you have done everything already yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's amazing what success you've gone on to have mm. and now at uh, age 60 and mm. still out and proud would you have any advice to other um young lgbt people you know maybe particularly from the black community who, who might be struggling to have that conversation with mm. with their carers or, or parents
1: I think for me, this is very, very difficult because my experience within the Afro-Caribbean community is that it still is, let's just say, it finds it very hard to discuss this issue on LGBT issues. And I think that's because it's very entrenched in church, the old church. So I find for the young, particularly the young black males, th- this whole brotherhood that you might see in London, you might see it in Birmingham, I, I would love to see older gay men, black men, mentoring younger black gay men because they need that guidance, they need that help. And in in, in some cases, it, it might be that they haven't had a strong role model, male role model mm-hmm. in their life that's gay and they might need that help. Um, and just that sort of foundation, that they, something that they can cling on to.
0: But just generally, in terms of coming out from whichever community you're in, would you have mm. any words of advice just in terms of how to approach it and how to how to cope with it?
1: I think knowing who to come out to is really really important. Mm. Um, I think that I think that's the first thing. I think you need somebody that you absolutely trust, um, somebody that you can confide in, and then use that as your platform. But I think also you need to look at your outer network as well because if You get the horror stories where the family literally throw that person out and they've got no support. And I've met people where that's happened. And I've said to them, you know, I said, can you rely on your family? And they've gone, no, not at all. So then it becomes a case of creating what, you know, what will be your family? Your family will be the LGBT community. That's where you're going to find your, you know, that firm family that you need.
0: Armistead Maupin's got a brilliant name for it, actually. Mm. So most people have their... Well, everyone has their biological family. But he said what we actually do, particularly in the LGBT community, is find our logical family. And I love that term. It's like we've all found our logical family. Yeah, absolutely.
1: But it's true. I adore my family and I've been very, very lucky. My family have been open, very accepting... All my nephews and nieces have had that sort of experience of having me as an uncle. And so their their attitude to the LGBT community is absolutely open. You know, they've done the bars, they've done the clubs, they've got friends. Mm-hmm. And I love that. I love that, that, you know, they've been, I'm going to use the term exposed, but in a positive way.
0: It's so, about normalising, isn't yeah, it? Yeah,
1: it is about normalisation. And um, that to me was very, very important. But getting back to our community and where youth is today i sometimes worry about the ageism and where older gay men that are quite isolated now what, what you know what can be done to sort of like keep that bridge between the young and the older community because the way that the business side of it sees older men we we become irrelevant at times unless you've got money
0: well the traditional gay scene is not really geared up for 60 year olds is it particularly or even forty plus, really.
1: There's a lot of gay men my age who are still they're still clubbing and, and doing it, but it takes them a long time to recover. It's not <laughs> it's not the nineties.
0: <laughs> there you go, that's Bill. A huge thank you to him for telling his story so openly and honestly. Please do subscribe wherever you get your podcast from. We'd also love to hear from you on Twitter. You can find us there at Come Out Stories. I'm Emma Goldswell. And Coming Out Stories is a What Goes On media production. Next time, it really is one for fans of RuPaul's Drag Race because none other than Gia Gunn speaks to me. She came out as trans to over half a million people at once. I fell into a great depression. I was deeply suicidal for a moment, and things got really dark for me, and that's when I knew that I had to do something about accepting who I was because I knew that I had everything that it took to have a perfect life, but I didn't have myself.